Good morning, my name's Narelle and today's reading is John chapter 18 from verse 1 to 27. Uh, Before we start reading, we're going to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the love that you lavish on us. Thank you that even when we haven't deserved this love, you continue to love us. Thank you that in your love you sent Jesus to us to teach us and to lead us to the only way to you. And yet, Lord, despite your love for us and the sacrifice that you made on the cross for us, we still fall short. We don't put you first. We deny you. We follow our own desires. We ask, Lord, that you would forgive us, and we ask for your strength to follow you every day. Lord, this is a hard passage to read, but we ask the Holy Spirit that you would open our eyes and our hearts and minds to hear what you're saying to us. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be with Chris as he opens the word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. The previous few chapters in John, Jesus has been with his disciples, teaching them and praying them in Jerusalem, and he's now heading out towards the Garden of Gethsemane. When he'd finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas, the traitor, was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. "'You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you?' she asked Peter. He replied, "'I am not.'" It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. 
Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in the synagogues or at the temple, where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded. If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? And Anna sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him, didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Good morning, everybody. If we haven't met, my name's Chris. I'm the youth pastor here, and it is my privilege as we dig into God's word to look at this passage today. We are back in the Gospel of John. If you've been journeying with us, we've finished our mission, vision, and values series, and now we're looking at this last section of John as we head towards Easter and Jesus' death and resurrection. And we're starting with betrayal. Betrayal, treachery. It's dramatic. It's memorable. Because betrayal is deeply emotional. Betrayal, in fact, drives the plot of a lot of our entertainment, doesn't it? Are there any survivor fans out there? Any? Some? Some hesitantly putting their hands up. I'm not a fan, but my wife and daughters are, so I can't help but find out what's going on in Survivor. And I see it all happening, alliances, deals, and of course, betrayals. Lots of drama, but in the end, it's just a game. But it's in other stories that we watch and see. Anyone old enough to remember Gladiator out there? Yes, we've seen Gladiator. And in that movie, Marcus Aurelius betrays Maximus right at the beginning. And it sets up the rest of the movie as a journey to revenge and retribution for Maximus. And who can forget the betrayal of King Mufasa by his brother Scar? Yes, I hear those murmurs. We remember it. We feel it, don't we? And then there's Frozen. (laughs) Yes, Frozen. Oh, my gosh. Anna encounters the dashing hands, doesn't she? And it looks like the door has been opened to true love. They even finish each other's sandwiches. And then at the climactic moment, Anna is going to die unless she has true love's kiss. This is it. This is the Disney moment. But then, oh, Anna, if only there was someone who truly loved you. Hans does not kiss her. He betrays her. His treachery is revealed. He's not Anna's true love. He's only after the throne. And in this moment of betrayal, he leaves her for dead and goes off hoping to finish his evil schemes. 
betrayal. We feel it. It cuts deep to the heart. Because there's something that's really required for betrayal to happen. That's trust. Trust is essential for betrayal. When we have trust, betrayal matters. And when betrayal happens, trust is shattered as actions sever relationships and whole lives. And it's hard to get over betrayal. In fact, the poet William Blake says this, it is easier to forgive an enemy than a friend. We feel betrayal. We feel it deeper than many offences. So when we come to this passage, we feel this as well, don't we? This, this story, this, this real-life story that happened thousands of years ago is even more shocking and dramatic than any of those other movies. It's the betrayal of the perfect Son of God. In this moment, though, Jesus, the Son of God, remains in control and has something to teach us all. So let's dig into the passage and see. Before we start, a bit of context. We've spent the last five chapters of John in the upper room at the Last Supper. There's lots of rich stuff there, but now we move out of that room and we head towards the climax. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. And here in this garden, along comes Judas, leading a detachment of Roman soldiers and temple guards. Judas, one of Jesus' closest friends and disciples, one of the twelve, has come to betray his rabbi. But the text tells us Jesus knows clearly what's happening. He knows this is coming. He knows what's going on right now. So he steps forward and he says, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. That I am he little statement there. There's something I want to dig into there. In the Greek there, it is more literally, I am. This is pointing to something big. This is more than just a man standing in front of these soldiers. This is the I am, the great I am. We've heard through John the, the I am statements of Jesus, as Jesus says, I am the bread of life, I am the good shepherd, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And it, it points back to the Old Testament, to Yahweh, I am. Here we have Jesus, fully man, fully God, standing here, about to be arrested. And he says, they say, we're after Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I am. And as he says that, they drew back and fell to the ground. That's the power of his declaration here. Jesus is merely speaking truth of who he is. And all these guys fall to the ground. Here are hardened Roman soldiers and they get weak at the knees and they collapse. Here we see just a hint of Jesus' true power. This is Jesus who spoke creation into being. He just declares quickly who he is and everyone falls before him. 
But Jesus quickly calls them back to task. He says, who is it you want? They obviously regain their feet and say, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you're looking for me, then let these men go. Let these men go. Jesus is wanting them to focus on him right now. Focus on me. Let my disciples go. This is about you arresting me right now. And why? Well, the text says this happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. This is Jesus pointing back to what he actually said earlier in the book of John back in 639. This here, he's in the middle of his I am the bread of life speech. It's just following on him from him feeding the 5,000. And Jesus says, and this is the will of him who sent me that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. So now we fast forward to this moment of his arrest and Jesus is remaining true to his words. He's remaining true to the Father's will to not lose any of these disciples in this moment at least. So he says, focus on me, let these men go. But suddenly, out comes a sword. Peter, impulsive, emotional, quick to act without thinking, and whack, he strikes at this guy Malchus. He's one of, the, one of the servants of the high priest, and he cuts off his ear. I'm willing to bet he wasn't aiming for the ear. But just as quickly as, Jesus, as Peter starts to bring this sword to play, Jesus shuts it down. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? And as we know from Luke, he healed the ear of Malchus on the spot. And then Jesus is arrested, taken away to Annas, the next part of the drama. Now, just a quick word on Annas. He was previously the high priest in Israel, but now his son-in-law Caiaphas was high priest. But you're high priest for life in Jewish custom. So Annas remained, he remained the real power broker behind the religious elite of the day. So that's why they took him to Annas first before taking him to um, Caiaphas. But at this moment, at this arrest, most of the disciples flee, don't they? Well, 12 are there, but they mostly go, 12 minus 1, Judas, But the rest of the 11 go, except for Peter and one other disciple. They decide to follow, to follow along at a distance. And we make our way to the courtyard of Annas. And here we get a bit of a preview of the drama to come with Peter. He's quizzed by a servant girl. You aren't one of the man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. Now... That should spark our interest. We were listening in when they were in the upper room at the Last Supper in John 13. Back then, Peter was vehemently proclaiming his undying devotion to Jesus, that he'd be willing to die for him. But Jesus knew what was to come. So back then in John 13, Jesus responded to Peter like this. Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the cock crows, You will disown me three times. Well, we're going to come back to that, but we're going to segue over, transition to Jesus himself in front of Annas right now. 
who, while no longer high priest, was still considered high priest for life in Jewish tradition. So that's why it says, meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I've always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I'd said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. What we're seeing here is Jesus is calling these high priests and the religious types out and calling out their underhanded late-night arrest. He's been teaching in the open, in the daylight, but here they are enacting their evil plan under the cover of night. And how do these religious types respond to being called out? Whack! Jesus gets slapped by one of the officials nearby. He says, is this the way you answer the high priest? But Jesus doesn't back down. He says, if I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Jesus is still committed to truth. He's calling them out again. But they don't answer him. And he is simply bundled off to the official high priest Caiaphas. And we'll come back to that next week. But right now we transition back to the courtyard. Peter's still out there watching on at a distance. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? And Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Cock-a-doodle-doo. But this is a moment that's so dramatic because Peter knows what he's been told last night just hours ago. And imagine how Peter felt in that moment. Imagine how cut to the heart he was. Earlier that evening, he was proclaiming his undying loyalty to Jesus, that he was willing to die for him. But before a new day has even dawned, he's denied he knows Jesus three times, just as Jesus predicted. Peter would have been devastated. He had betrayed the man he had faithfully followed for three years. He'd been too scared to acknowledge he was one of his disciples. Well, that's this dramatic passage that we're looking at today. And it's memorable. We remember these stories. We remember the, the, the rooster crowing and Peter realising his moment of denial. Judas betraying with a kiss. It's, it's all so dramatic. But what, what are the lessons for us? What do we learn from this? Well, there's a couple of things that really struck me as we as I've dug into this passage. Firstly, we see Jesus is in control through all of this. But then we can turn the mirror on ourselves and look at the lessons we get from betrayal. Let's start with Jesus in control. Imagine everything that has just happened happens to a normal person, not the Son of God. When they're betrayed, arrested, questioned, have all your friends desert them, that would normally be one of their weakest moments. Regular people would feel completely powerless 
in that moment. But not so Jesus. There's markers through this story where we see Jesus is still in control, even in this apparent moment of weakness. We start with the moment of his arrest when the great I am shows but a glimpse of who has the real power. As he declares who he really is, all fall before him. And that points to what will happen for everyone in all of creation eventually, that they will fall before Jesus. All will bow before him. Everyone will bend the knee and recognise the great I am. So in this apparent moment of weakness, we still see a glimpse that this would not be happening unless Jesus wished it to. He could just speak a word and it would all go away. But he doesn't. Even after he pushes them to their knees with a word, he calls them back to task, the task of arresting him. And then even in that moment, he's controlling what's going on around him. Remember when Jesus says, let these men go? He's clear he doesn't want others to suffer the same fate of him as at this moment. Focus on me. Let these other guys go. It's because Jesus is working towards fulfilling what he has come to do. He knows his destiny. This is all part of the plan. In this moment, it's part of the plan, a plan that began before creation, which included not losing his chosen disciples right now. And then when one of his disciples threatens to turn this into violent insurrection, he puts that sword straight back in its sheath. Put the sword away. This is my cup to drink. My death I am to drink the cup of God's wrath on behalf of everyone. That's the plan. Do not turn this into something it is not. Again, Jesus pulls it back to what is supposed to happen in this moment. Jesus is in control, even as he seemingly is weak and under arrest. And then even under questioning, under questioning and abuse, he stands firm. He remains true and truthful. He's clearly done nothing wrong. And even though he's supposedly the accused, he turns into the accuser. He turns from being questioned into the questioner and in so doing calls out the evil plans of the men in front of him. That they have no basis of truth for this. Even though he knows it will not divert them from carrying out those evil plans. And finally, he even knew and predicted the moment of Peter's betrayal. He saw this coming, said it would happen, and it happened. As with all of this, we see through this that Jesus is in control of every step of the way. Every aspect of these betrayals are part of the plan. Jesus knows they were to happen. And Jesus makes sure that these happen. He is in control all the way to the cross. The cross is not a God falling victim to unfortunate circumstance and making the best of it. This is Jesus, the great I am, the son of God, working clearly and deliberately towards his own death. Death. 
to suffer for you and me. This is Jesus in control of his own apparent weakness. We see in that it's not weakness. It's actually great strength, strength that you and I could never possess. It's a strength to suffer for all humanity, to suffer for you and for me. And it's his love that's driving it. In these moments, as he steers it back to what is supposed to happen, we can see his love, we can see the heart of Jesus for us. He loved us so much that he made sure that he would be arrested, he would be killed, and he would rise again because he knew we needed that. Jesus shows love in this moment, love for you, a love that dies for you, a love that then turns you to, calls you to turn and follow him, your great and wonderful saviour who submitted to all of this for you. For your sake, he's done it for you. Your sins can now be forgiven. You can be accepted once more part of the family of God. You can live in the care of a God who is in control of all things, including your life. Jesus is in control. We see that clearly, and then we look at all these betrayals, And that's when we turn the mirror on ourselves and take a good hard look at ourselves and go, what can we learn from this? I want to think first about Judas. Judas, three years he spent by Jesus' side. He saw all that Jesus did. He heard all the amazing teaching. He saw the authority. He saw the miracles that he has done, proving his power. Yet here he is, betraying Jesus with a kiss. And why? Why is he betraying Jesus? He's seen it all. And what does he betray him for? A bag of silver, 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. He has turned Jesus from his Lord into his slave. A slave to Judas' own plans. Because Judas, on the outside, he would have looked like a true follower, one of, one of Jesus' closest disciples. But inside, we, we see in this moment, he had different motivations going on. He had different agenda. He had his own ideas of what true blessing should look like. And Judas, he was frustrated that Jesus was not fitting in with his plans for the coming kingdom. So he slinks off and betrays his Lord. As we look at Judas, who who does that speak to as we sit here today? Well, none of us are Judas, thankfully, who was beyond redemption. But some of us may be tempted to follow his path. Are you sitting here today and you've grown up in the church? Have you heard Jesus' teaching? Have you learned about his miracles, his power, his sacrifice? His majesty, have you learnt all those things through your years of sitting in church? Do you look like a true follower on the outside, but are you tempted to betray Jesus for your own plans and tempted to walk away? 
Do you have your own 30 pieces of silver you want to pursue in, in your life? Do you have your own idea of what blessing should look like and you're just frustrated with, with Jesus that it hasn't come through for you yet? If so, keep Judas in your mind. Let him be a clear warning to you. It doesn't end well for Judas. And if you choose to walk away from Jesus, from all you've learnt, it won't end well for you either. If you betray Jesus, please hear that warning. Repent. Come back to Jesus. Jesus wants you to come back to him. He wants you to be his disciple, be a true disciple. Not just know it, but know it in your heart. Don't be one of those people who have walked away from Jesus, from church, from life itself. So that's the first warning. How about the priests? Now, is that really a betrayal in the moment? But I would say yes, it is. Because let's think about what priests were supposed to do. Priests were supposed to represent God to the world. The calling of a priest was to listen to God, to do his bidding and call others to do the same. So here, in this moment, they have God standing in front of them, but instead of listening to Jesus, instead of responding to the clear truths that he has been speaking, they slap him in the face and send him off to his death. That's a violent and horrible betrayal of the role they were supposed to be playing. So who can take a lesson from that sitting here today? Well... I feel that anyone who rejects Jesus can take this lesson. Anyone who rejects Jesus slaps him in the face, either deliberately or passively. Because as human beings, we were created in the image of God. We are created with a calling, a calling to play a priestly role to this world. Made in God's image, we're meant to represent him to the world, steward his creation. That's what we're designed for. Each of us sitting here is designed for that. So is that you? Have, have you? Are you sitting here but you've rejected Jesus intentionally or with your apathy? Have you heard the plain truth that Jesus has spoken yet still reject him? Well, what does Jesus say to you? Well, the same thing he says to those complicit in his death. Yeah, he calls them out. Yes, he calls them out. He, he calls them out and says, I am truth. Why aren't you listening to me? But you know what also he says? Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. These words from the cross in Luke reveal the heart of Jesus. If you've rejected Jesus in your life so far, actively, passively, Jesus says this. He said this at the day. This is the heart of Jesus on display on the cross. Father, forgive them. This is Jesus in his glory, full of grace and mercy. He calls for forgiveness for those who have betrayed their priestly calling. 
Those who are complicit in his death then and now. But this forgiveness, this loving heart of Jesus can be yours too. So if you've rejected Jesus up till now, stop slapping him in the face and actually turn to him and receive instead his loving embrace. Come and receive the forgiveness that Jesus offers. That's a call to you if you've rejected him up till now. And then lastly, what can we learn from Peter's betrayal moment? Well, I think this has a lesson for all of us sitting here who are committed followers of Jesus. Because even in our commitment, we all betray Jesus at different times and in different ways. When we deny Jesus as king by our words or our actions, when we let the fear of the world overwhelm our fear of God, when our words of devotion are not backed up by our lives, when we do this, we join Peter in denying Jesus. And when we realise that, we should be cut to the heart too. We say we love Jesus, but we've denied him. It should hurt. But we can also look to the hope of how Peter's story ends. It doesn't end with betrayal for him and the other disciples. And in a lot of ways, Peter is just a symbol of all the disciples in the moment. The rest have fleed already. They all deny Jesus in different ways. But their story, and especially Peter's story, does not end in betrayal. It ends in restoration. We'll see this at the end of the book of John. Peter is called back to the love of Jesus. He's called back to faithful service and called back to playing a part in the building of Jesus' church. That can be our hope too. When we betray Jesus, we need to be cut to the heart, but come before him in repentance and faith and lay our lives at his feet afresh. And beg for the mercy that you know he loves to give you. And live in that forgiveness and restoration rather than the despair of betrayal. So there we have three betrayals. Three things that are speaking to us all. I actually want to finish with this, this, little, this little bit of art here. This is by Caravaggio. In this piece of art, which is called The Taking of Christ, we can see all three betrayals in the picture. Can you see there in the middle, Judas kissing Jesus, betraying him in that moment? We can see the soldiers. In a lot of ways, for me, they represent the soldiers, the priests, the authorities, the authority figures in this who are dragging Jesus off to his death. And can you see in the corner there the fleeing disciple? Apparently that's John, but that represents all the disciples. It, it, it's Peter in this moment too, as he denies Jesus. It represents those who flee from Jesus at the moment of his betrayal and death. Peter just stayed that little bit longer for his denial to be exposed. So we see three pictures of betrayal there from what happened thousands of years ago. But do you notice... There's someone else in that picture up here in the corner holding a lantern. 
That's actually a self-portrait of Caravaggio himself. He's holding that lantern. He's put himself in the picture. In doing that, he is, he is saying something that I agree with. We're all complicit in the betrayal of Jesus in one way or another. We're there in that moment. We betray Jesus in different ways at different times. So we can place ourselves at this moment of betrayal and that should cut us to the heart, no matter where we stand with him now. And you can see the look on Jesus' face there. It's it's a look of sadness and, and sorrow at this moment of being betrayed. But let's... This is a moment where sorrow and love meet, as we sang before, because we see that sorrow, but we hear again these words on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. So for all of us who are sitting here today, recognise in this betrayal, we, we take part in that in different ways, but Jesus offers forgiveness and love. He shows radical grace in the face of betrayal. Receive that grace. Turn from your betrayal and let it change your life forever. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and we want to repent. We want to say sorry for the ways that we have betrayed you, we have betrayed Jesus in our life whether that's been our whole lives or moments in our lives, Lord. We want to bow before you, cut to the heart and say sorry. We see in these moments of betrayal, Jesus still in control, still walking deliberately towards his destiny of death and resurrection for us. And we want to rest in the assurance of salvation and forgiveness that we get in that that even though we have fallen so far short of you, Lord, that you love us and you offer forgiveness for that. You offer restoration for us. You offer a way back home into your family, into your love. Lord, please, we ask for that again today. May you continue to help us be more faithful to you. And in moments when we betray you in the future, help us come back again, kneel before you again, And know that you love to forgive us and show your mercy and continue to grow us up into the likeness of your son, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.